Welcome to Love This Bitch, the podcast that teaches you how to love your life and accomplish your goals through self-compassion and self-coaching. Now here's your host, MBA and Master Certified Professional Life Coach, Lisa Ogilvie. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So glad to have you spending time with me again today. And I have a very special episode for you. This is my first ever interview on this podcast. I, I used to do them all the time over on Vibrant Life Allies. But this is the first one here on Love This Bitch, and I'm just super excited about it. I have here with me today, Mark Christopher Neff, which I had the great pleasure of, of meeting in the coaching space online and just such a, a vibrant personality and just, you know, magnetic and helpful. And I just was so happy to meet him. And so when he reached out to talk today about his, his new book that he's written, I was super excited to share that with you. So he is a life coach and an author, and, and he's had many, many life experiences, which we're going to get into today. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. We're so happy to have you. And I was telling him before we got started recording that he had to be persistent and following up with me because I, I tend to run all over the place. So I'm glad that he did that because this book is pretty amazing. If you don't mind starting with the book, diving into darkness to find the light. It's a long story, but how did this come up? about Mark? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. Um, I had some time, you know, that I'm grateful for during the pandemic to just get quiet and still oh. in my life. <laughs> and I think we've become such a busy society that I think a lot of times we don't have that time anymore just to think about normal everyday life and process all the stuff that's happening in, around, and to us. And I had the chance to get quiet and it made me realize there were some pretty significant times in my life where I had buried some of the emotions attached to each. And they very quickly started coming up. And I realized in order to really meet my full potential and live my authentic life, I had to process these emotions and deal with them. And so I started writing for myself to do that. And before I knew it, I had enough content to put into a book. And I think with some of the big buckets that the book deals with, you know, it very quickly became my mission. If I could help one person in the world not feel alone in what they're going through, then I wanted to put it out there for everyone. Wow. Yes. And a lot of, it's a small book and it was right? so good. I read it in just a weekend, but I mean, these are what we're talking about here. Sexual identity, addiction, cancer, grief over tragic loss, career burnout, and mental health, all in, in this in this book. So it's, yes. it's power packed here. It is power packed. <laughs> and like you said, there are a lot of people who would identify with a lot of this. And, you know, as I was reading it, and I had mentioned to you, I haven't had some of the what I would say, you know, to the level of, of trauma and experiences that you've had, I've had very different experiences. And yet some of the things you talked about in here, I've got little stickies all over the book. Of things oh, that nice. just resonated with me. Who would read this book? Or anybody could benefit? You know, I think anyone. You know, it's amazing to me some of the response I'm getting already for, from people that haven't dealt with any of these things personally, but it somehow has touched on something in their life that affected them in a strong enough way that it's opening doors for them to heal. And I think that's really what it is, was just laying myself bare to some of the things I went through and letting people know we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend to be who we think society wants us to be. We just need right. to live our truth. And it's hard to do because we are so programmed. But once you crack that shell, 
you know, it's amazing the things that start happening. Right. And, you know, one of the things that connected with me, you're, you know, you are very, very raw, like you said, very open in this. And when you're talking about your, your sexual identity and the things that you went through with, you know, discovering that and coming out and things like that, you know, I grew up Christian raised and I'm still Christian, but it was more, um, legalistic the way I was raised and I think it was intended to be and so it was very that combined with my brain and how I interpreted things very repressive very legalistic and so I know also that a lot of people who with the kind of struggle that you went through with your sexual identity but also people socialized as women there's a lot of you know repression and things about pleasure and enjoying that part of ourselves our sexual health our sexual life And that can, for me, it can really, um, it causes me and I know a lot of people to struggle with pleasure and enjoying themselves. And that was something that I thought was very beautiful in your book is how you seem to have maintained or either reconnected with enjoying that part of your, of your life. Is there anything you can share with the rest of us? Like, how do you go through that of being told it's bad, it's wrong to, and being able to still enjoy it? Well, it's really interesting, and I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, It's something that I've just started rediscovering. I think there's so much shame attached to sex in general in our country and in our society. But then, you know, you add on top of that living and growing up in a way that, you know, was labeled even more wrong. So you always have this idea in your head that anything you're doing physically is wrong, dirty, shameful. And it took me into my forties to start letting some of that go. And I really think the magic of letting it go was again, letting my authentic self out. And as I discovered and was more confident in who I was, a lot of that started naturally falling away. Right. Nice. And so that was something then that a part of your journey that's come along quite later, it's taken a, a while for you to get there and maybe Correct. Still, yeah. still on the journey, maybe. Yeah, still on the journey. And I think also just being a lot more open-minded to, you know, maybe not necessarily what I'm experiencing and what I enjoy, but also just letting people, you know, be into what they are and not having any judgment about it. And I think this is where some of the, you know, societal programming kicks in is some of the messages we get as young kids, that stuff really, really is cemented into our conscience. So if we think we're living in a wrong way, per se, that stuff really does build up the shame and the embarrassment and the fear of letting that part of yourself out. Right. And even if, you come to think about it differently later. Those things are still there under the surface. If, and like you said, if you don't process it and do the work. Correct. And I think that's why they call a lot of, you know, work in meditation, mental health, you know, even exercising and fitness disciplines, because you may have really one good day where you're thinking, okay, I got this, but then you have to reaffirm that to yourself day after day to break down you know, those thoughts and ideas that have been so ingrained in you. Right. I, and that's something I, I mentioned to people a lot. It's anything that seems to be good for us, like exercise or, you know, these, these different things that we do meditation, you don't get to just do them a little while and then you're set <laughs> Right. <laughs> practice. It's a lifelong thing that you're, you're working on. Absolutely. With all this, you're also a life coach. 
Correct. What, what do you what do you specialize in as a life? Coach? Well, I started out in the whole Sabrina or sobriety arena, and you know, I coached people on, you know, do they have a drinking problem? That's who most of my clients ended up being, and then what are tools they could start putting in their tool belt to address that. And you know, I never claimed to get anyone sober, but through that journey, I had such an amazing transformation in my life. I wanted to share what I did and what happened for me in hopes that it would motivate people to stay on that journey. During that coaching process is when some of the ideas for the book started brewing in my head. And so I actually took a a break from coaching to give 100% of my time to the book. So you know, I've coached on career stuff. I've coached on accountability, mindset, healthy boundaries. So with the book now, I'm excited to see kind of where my next coaching niche might end up. But, you know, I've been coaching one lady for the time that I've been publishing and marketing the book. And I'm just about ready to start dipping my toe back in the coaching water and, you know, taking on new clients. Yeah, that is interesting. It, you know, it's kind of the stuff that you're putting out there. You've got a lot here to see like what that draws in because that is a lot of coaching. It's where you are in your journey and then where your clients are. It kind of, you know, over time changes your your level of expertise even in certain areas. Right. You know, where my heart has really been going to a lot lately is parents, family members and friends of people dealing with an addiction. Oh, because that's, yes, that's yeah, the addict has to be ready to get sober or clean themselves. But a lot of times family, friends, coworkers, they can step into an enabling role and not even realize it where, you know, the best thing you can do with anyone dealing with an addiction is love, just love them. They have to make the decision on themselves to, you know, break that cycle. Right. And maybe I would think that being informed as to you know, how habits are formed, because I've been reading about that and how if things stay the same when someone's going through trying to recover from addiction around them with family and friends, it that's creates those relapse type situations. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I really have an emphasis too on mental health. I'm not licensed or anything to be a therapist, nor do I claim to be one. I cut hair for 20 years and cutting hair for 20 years, you know, gave me the opportunity to have lots of conversations with lots of people about a lot of intimate things. When you touch someone, they instantly become vulnerable. And the trust developed between a hairstylist and their client is pretty amazing. So, you know, I can see threads of mental health issues in a lot of the addicts that I've dealt with through my hair career and in my coaching career. And it even takes me back to being a kid. My twin brother and I were separated in kindergarten. And that's just what the school thought was best at that time. And we both had significant anxiety from that. And it wasn't until we were adults that we looked back and realized, wow, the reason why we were afraid to go to the bathroom in kindergarten and we actually wet our pants was because we were ripped away from someone that we had been with since conception. Yeah. So, you know, what is the right or wrong answer? But we've had anxiety and mild depression weaved in and out of our entire life. And I see little glimpses of that when I look back into some of the traumatic things that have happened. 
Absolutely. And and it's good that, that you brought that up, you know, talking about seeing the threads of things that can result sometimes in addiction, because I think a lot of times, whether it's getting, seeing a therapist or a doctor or a coach, there are people who feel like they have to be in a certain spot, whether it's what they think is the end of their rope or something like addiction or something more on what people might call the extreme end of it. But it, it can just, there can be those things that can lead to that and whether they do or not, just how that's affecting your daily life, your enjoyment of your life. Right, exactly. And I think when we look at trauma, a lot of people look, when they think of the word trauma, they think of something really big or really dangerous or really destructive that happened in their life. And, you know, another example of a trauma that I experienced was in eighth grade, a little boy in gym class told me that I needed a bra. Well, when you're at those ages and you hear something like that, that you don't forget it. And so, you know, I look back now and I've had some body image issues my entire life. And to be able to clearly see that that was reason for that was that simple comment that the kid made and how much power I gave to it the rest of my life. I think those little realizations start to shift you know, some of that trauma. And that's the most powerful thing in recognizing it, processing it, and then truly letting it go. Well, and and I'm so glad that you said that because it, it means a lot coming from you with some of the things that you've gone through, right? You, you know, were struggling with your sexual identity during a time where people, you know, there's still stigma now, but it, back then it was like, no, Right. <laughs> it was, it was not widely accepted and you know, that that's traumatic and you've been through that. And then for you to say, look, that doesn't mean that something like these hurtful comments and these people in our lives that may have been brief and they said, or did things that connected with us in a way that was traumatic and we can still right. we can carry that for the rest of our lives as well. Correct. Yeah. I think it's really powerful. I forget what book I was reading and they mentioned a comment where, you know, a mother might sometimes, or at one point in a child's life say, no, you can't have that. And the way that they look at their child can be a trauma because there's an association then with not having that is bad. And it's really not having that is bad. It's just not having it at that moment for that child wasn't appropriate. So it's amazing the cognitive associations that can happen by just simple statements. Exactly. And, and that's something, you know, you talked about parents and family that comes up, I think a lot where parents are so worried about these things that they're going to do to their child. You have to do your best. And regardless, there's going to be things that, you know, are the environment and the child's brain takes a certain way, you know, right. Exactly. And having a family unit where you can talk about those things though and be vulnerable, that's what's going to help in the long run to working through those issues. Absolutely. In the addiction arena, one of the first things they talk about in the sobriety journey is taking 100% accountability for all your actions. And it's really easy for a lot of people to fall into a victim mindset. And, oh, this is because, you know, my, both my parents worked and they weren't around all the time. You know, our parents, did the best that they knew how to do when they were doing it. And they were natures of their childhood and the best that their parents were doing. So, you know, when you can step out of that victim mindset and take responsibility for the things that you have done in your life and then figure out the best way to move forward, 
you know, it's a pretty powerful mindset to adopt. Right. And, but that gives you your power back when, when you're no longer the victim and you're looking at the steps you can take to make things different in your life. Right. And it's, you know, I think it's a powerful reminder too, that we can't change the past. We can learn as much as we can from it and then let that be a tool and be a learning and a growth opportunity for today and moving forward. Absolutely. And going back to addiction again, if, if I didn't take it wrong, it seemed like in the book that that was actually something for you that manifested much later in life. It did. You know, I think I had myself, you know, I was in denial. I had myself fooled that I was a functional alcoholic because that then (laughs) makes you not have to realize that you truly are, you know, back in high school, I was a peer counselor. I taught kids about alcohol and drug abuse. I really didn't start drinking until I was in college. And then over the course of 20 years, you know, happy hours and all those things, you know, I was genetically predisposed to alcoholism, but then my habits and routines were, you know, supporting the fact that alcohol became my coping mechanism for stress, for celebrating, for grieving, for having a good day, for having a bad day, for just having a day, you know, it was easy to say, okay, I'm going to have a drink just because I had a day. And so over the course of almost 20, 25 years, you know, the addiction naturally caught up to me and my consequences got really bad, really fast. And that was kind of the aha moment that made me realize that I couldn't live this way any longer. Right. So, I mean, I think, again, that's a good parallel. Like you talked about your work with people struggling with addiction, but anywhere along the line of whatever you're struggling with, anxiety, addiction, what have you, there might be places before the consequences are bigger than we would like. So let's, let's get help then, you know, you don't have to be a non-functional alcoholic before you get help. You don't have to feel like your anxiety is paralyzing you before you get help. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause sometimes if you just start talking about it and, you know, be vulnerable with it, you might prevent yourself from having that consequence that people would consider their rock bottom. You know, I never expected to have two DUIs within six months. You know, I've never been a troublemaker. I've always been follow the rules. And so that was a very humbling experience for me, especially I had to spend three days in jail. And there's a lot that goes through your mind when you're, you know, sitting with people that have done less than you, but also people that have done a lot more than you and have done violent crimes. And, you know, it really makes you step back and think, you know, we're all dealing with something, but how can I change the trajectory of my life based on this situation that just happened to me? Absolutely. That's a good point. There were a lot of different levels, but they had all converged to the same, the same spot. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, for, for any addicts out there or people that think they might be struggling with something, that little voice inside our head never lies. And that little voice whispered to me over the years, and then it started having a conversation with me. And then unfortunately with the DUIs, that was it shouting to me you have to get this under control. So I think sometimes when you hear that little voice inside your head saying, you know, this might be an issue, or maybe you need to do this, listen to it and act upon it. And, you know, if it ends up not being an issue, at least you've been proactive in trying to prevent something before something gets really bad. Right. 
And that's, you know, that connects back to what you said earlier on about living your own truth, because I know like, you know, a, a lot of people are, well, that's what you do, right? You've had a long day, you have a drink that that's yes. how you cope that, you know, everybody does it. That's what we do. And it's the same, like with anxiety or other, you know, stressors that we might have. People are like, ah, everybody feels that way. Suck it up. Right. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> so, unintentionally, I felt a lot more peer pressure in my adulthood than I ever did as a teenager. People respected me in high school for not drinking, especially since I was a peer counselor. But in adulthood, people aren't doing it intentionally. But if you aren't having a drink somewhere, people are like, why aren't you drinking? Oh, why, you know, why aren't you going to happy hour with us? And, you know, again, it's not intentionally, but it really, you know, it's something you have to really arm your, you know, sobriety tool belt with in how to handle those situations to continue to give yourself momentum and strength in your journey. Absolutely. You have to be, have to be prepared for, yes. for that outcome because, you know, for a lot of people, it may be a normal part of their life that doesn't have any effects, but right. if that's not the case for you. Like you said earlier, living who you are, letting them be who, who they are and being able to, you know, communicate and, and have those kind of conversations with people. Yeah. You know, one of the most powerful um, statements I've ever heard that was really beneficial to me is don't expect yourself and other people. And I thought, oh my gosh, if you look at the world today, if you look at the political system, if you look at religion, you know, we're trying to make people all be fitting into certain boxes. And, you know, it was a huge aha moment for me because I thought just because my best friend doesn't respond in the way that I would, that's not reason to dump him or her as my best friend. That's right. reason to celebrate our differences and learn from each other and, you know, continue to grow. So that really resonated to me because I think I was expecting myself in a lot of the people close to me and how they dealt with things. Absolutely. And I love that saying, and I, I always think it's funny that the things Sometimes it will get frustrating to me and other people. I will say it's because they're either more or less of something than I am. And I feel like I've, I've, you know, I've set the bars in these levels and you can't like, you yes. can't be, you know, like, like with you scheduling with me and how I was kind of all over the place. If someone else is more all over the place than I am, then I'm like, oh no, 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 that's too much. You can't. <laughs> so we try to make these rules for other people based on rules that we've just made up for ourselves. Right, exactly. And I think you make a really good point. You know, those are some of the benchmarks we also try to live up to. And we're so busy comparing ourselves to what other people might have accomplished or what they might have done in a certain amount of time. And we're just constantly setting ourselves up for disappointment. Our journey is exactly going at the pace that we need it to be. And I think we're right where we need to be at any moment. And if we adopt that mentality, it forces us to be more present in whatever we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Having these ideas of what you should accomplish based on someone else is it's a totally different path to, to where, how they got there than the one you're on. And they're just different. It's not right. Better, exactly. It's different. Yeah. And I think it reinforces, I've had a fear of failure my entire life. And, you know, I attribute a lot of that to growing up as a gay little boy and not knowing what to do with that. You know, I didn't want to be seen. So I kind of had a fear of failing because I wasn't putting 100, my, 
100% of my authentic self into anything that I did, even well into adulthood. So I think, you know, letting go of that fear of failure and letting go of perfectionism and, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. But as we embrace each other's flaws, I think, again, it's a learning opportunity for all of us. Absolutely. And that's it's a big thing for my audience. So I'm glad you brought it up, you know, the perfectionism and, and the fear of failure, the more open we are to who we are as, as an individual and others who they are, that gives us more freedom to be yes. ourselves. So it's a, well, it's a better cycle to get into. It's a much better cycle. You know, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and a lot of TV spots for the book. And the biggest compliment I've been getting from people is, oh my gosh, I don't know, you seem so natural and you seem like you're not nervous or anything. And I said, you know what, for the first time in my life, I'm being 100% authentic. And when you're being 100% authentic, you can't get anything wrong because you're being yourself. (laughs) So I said, for me, that takes away any nervousness or any anxiety because I'm finally not afraid for people to see me. And that's such a beautiful feeling. And I wish that for everyone listening today. That is amazing and super empowering. And you're you're so right. You know, we're not trying to fit into that box. We're just showing up. And so you can't go wrong that way. Right, exactly. As you went through that and became, you know, stepped into your authentic self in your life, how did that change the relationships that you had, if, if, if at all? You know, naturally going through the sobriety journey, you learn healthy boundaries. So, you know, a lot of my relationships, I'm grateful to be surrounded by amazing supportive people. So a lot of my core foundational relationships didn't change that much. But I think the confidence in being saying, or the confidence that I acquired to say no to things that I knew weren't in alignment with where I wanted to be, that really started shifting for me. I've always been a yes person because I was afraid to hurt people's feelings. And I think that was a little bit of a control thing in me as well. Like, oh, if they invited me, they really want me there, you know, so I better go. I don't want to disappoint them. But if it wasn't, if I had a fear of maybe having a temptation to drink because of going there, then I'm confident now to say, no, that's just not somewhere that I feel comfortable being. And and that's a huge thing too, being able to say no. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of us struggle with that, especially with the perfectionism. Since you had that great core group, though, as you started doing these things, you didn't lose anything. I didn't. I didn't. I think I gained more respect and more understanding from even some of the people closest to me because I lived so many years in denial of, you know, my true self, that when they started seeing my true self come out, they loved me enough that they started loving me even more because, you know, I wasn't trying to hide from them. Absolutely. It helps build deeper connections when you're able to be honest like that. Yeah, absolutely. And has that also in turn made you like, have they seemed to be able to open up more to you as well? They have. And again, you know, I have to speak to the book. Some of the response, even from close friends and family has been so powerful. You know, one surprise bit of feedback that I got were the parents of one of my best friends. And, you know, he's a gay man in his mid forties and his parents are in their late sixties, early seventies. And they both got so tearful reading the sexual identity part. 
And they said it's the first time in their life that they've been able to really feel what their son must have been feeling as a kid. Wow. And that gave them so much more empathy to their own son. And I thought, you know, that's one thing that I didn't even expect people to pick up from the book, but I love how powerful perspective can be in that situation. Absolutely. And, and how powerful vulnerability, like we're talking about can be. And that's what what you put here in this book. You were very open about these things and what you experienced. And it was just, it was very relatable and just like, oh, wow. You know, like I can see what you went through and I can have empathy for that. And I can see similar struggles in my own life. It was quite, it was quite powerful. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it was healing. It was healing for me. Like I said, I had no intention of publishing this or turning it into a book. This was all really to heal myself. And so it's just been an amazing journey to see what magic happens to when you quit living your life through filters. Absolutely. And so for you then working through this and where you are now, would you say that self-compassion has played a role in that. Oh my gosh. You know what? The one person that I completely fell in love with during this process was myself because I forgot how to love myself, you know, and I didn't even know I was supposed to love myself. I don't think I was supposed to love and take care of everyone else in my life. And, you know, that wasn't something that was taught to me per se, but it was just something that I observed and kind of started doing from a young age. So The beautiful part, you know, of falling in love with yourself again is it will naturally help other things that you need to deal with start happening. Absolutely. That's a great point. And also like what you said, a lot of times it's just like, okay, yeah, I love myself, but you know, it's more of like a relationship. What does that mean? How do you show that to yourself in your life? I think you just have to, you have to keep trying things until you find the things that work for you, either fitness wise, food wise, friend wise, family wise, you know, try things. If they don't work, try something else, but eventually you control the things you're in control of. Don't control, don't try to control the things that you aren't, but maintain the things that you know you need to do to yourself and for yourself to be the best you can be because then all the other stuff starts to work itself out naturally. Absolutely. And then so part of my therapy is going to the gym every day. Even if it's tw- a 20 minute walk on the treadmill, that keeps me in tune and centered to be the best I can be in everything else that I do. Right. And that's how you're looking at it is, is for you and the health benefits to you mentally and physically. Correct. And, and I can have of- cake every night. <laughs> Because I love cake. <laughs> there you go. That's another, you're taking care of yourself all the way around. It's, yes. It's not looking at it for having to exercise to meet a standard or for someone else or, you know, judging what you eat. This is just all taking care of yourself. Yeah. And for the first time, you know, I wasn't working out so that the little kid in eighth grade would tell me that I didn't need a bra anymore. <laughs> I was working out for health. I wasn't looking out, working out for vanity reasons. And I think that it can be a slippery slope for a lot of people. You know, when you are working on your insides as much as your outsides, that's when you start to glow. 
That's true. That's true. And like I said, it, it changes your perspective, even on those other things, why you're doing them. And, right. you know, now you can enjoy it because it's, it's for you. It's for your mental and physical health. And I think that that's super important to, you know, have that kind of relationship with yourself and alleviate the anxiety about a lot of the things that we do in life normally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other valuable thing I've learned is if I have something that's bothering me, you know, in relation to someone else, I have that conversation as quickly as I can, because it's so easy for me to create 2000 or more stories in my head about how that conversation is going to go. And I tell you nine times out of 10, it's the easiest, most rewarding thing you can do because it's usually not an issue at all compared to what you created that it might be. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I love about my closest friends is that I can be like, this is what I'm hearing, or this is the story that I'm telling myself what's actually happening here. And it's never my story. It's always something. Yes. (laughs) It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And it's very helpful to be able to do that with people. Right. And you're, again, that speaks volumes to the discipline of self-care because really having that conversation is taking care of yourself so that you don't have to spend days and days creating all those stories. Absolutely. And experiencing the emotions that those stories are generating, even though they're just stories and right. really happening. So yeah. I think, like you said, being able to speak to somebody, a lot of times people think that that's working through it that's dealing with it, not saying anything, bottling it up, thinking about it. And then they just hold all that in. And so all for the, for them, all that really happened, all right. the stories, like they really experienced all that when instead, you know, it might seem like it was a difficult conversation, but they could have went and had that conversation and saved all that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know for me in the past, I know that creating those stories in my heads were a lot of the nights where I would have extra drinks, like, oh my gosh, they're not going to love me anymore. They're not going to want to hang out with me. I better have another drink, you know, self-medicating. Right. And we, we have so many ways to do that now. Drinking is still a big one, (laughs) Um, but you know, now we can scroll on our phones and watch Netflix and all these things and just bottle all that up and never deal with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think addiction today has a lot more far reaching arms than it ever did. When you think about social media You know, I have friends that have been addicted to people, you know, toxic relationships. I think it presents itself in so many ways today. Absolutely. That that's a really good point. You can be addicted and much more obsessive with things now because it's right there in your hand all the time. Yes. And the thing that it's doing for our mental health. I mean, you can't help but sometimes compare yourself to the perfect pictures you see on Instagram and Facebook and the perfect vacation that you see friends going on. But again, it's such a discipline to remind yourself behind all that stuff, real life and real feelings are happening. Absolutely. And for me, something that I try to do, in addition to not looking and comparing on that is, you know, noticing when I'm doing something and I'm trying to capture these moments and I'm like, you're missing them. There are amazing moments happen and you're missing them because you're trying to, to capture them for social media. So I I like to, you know, practice when that I realize that's happening, like putting that down and just being present. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing, isn't it? 
Yes. I look at all the people at concerts today that have their phones up recording it. You know, I would beg to say that there's a huge percentage of those that don't go back and watch those videos, but you're also robbing yourself of the actual live performance by trying to watch it through your phone. So it's just such an interesting, it's an interesting thing that's happening. Right. We're living so much of our lives for, for other people, for social for what it will look like on social media that we're actually missing those things. Yeah. That the sense of validation is such an interesting thing. And you know, where people are seeking that today, where, you know, the only validation we truly need is inside ourselves. Exactly. And as you said earlier, that's been like just an amazing and powerful experience for you. Right. Absolutely. And so I guess with everything that you've been through, like the addiction, sexual identity, mental health, even the career burnout, how's that relationship with yourself? Like, was it changing all the time or is it, you know, just been like, like, have you noticed different levels, I guess is what I'm saying. Or was that all kind of going on at one time to lead where you have landed now? You know, I think it's, I've been an optimist my whole life and that can be a blessing and a curse. I always look at the bright side of life, but I see how in the past it caused me to bury emotions with stuff. So I think subconsciously and consciously, I've been working on this my entire life. So some of the traumas in my life, I've handled them all with as much grace and compassion to myself as I could because I'm an optimist. But I think looking back and dealing with the emotions of them, all the stuff I've been collectively learning through the years, this is when it kind of all finally came to a head and I started mentally putting it all together. Okay. I'm glad you understood that question. (laughs) You answered it perfectly because after I finished, I was like, did that make sense? But I guess that's kind of, you know, what I was saying, like, I know there are different times in my life where I handled things and coped with things the best I could. And I'm glad for that and for what I learned in that experience. But then as I have other experiences and get other, you know, tools and things like that, it becomes uh, like, oh, that doesn't work anymore, you know, and I can be open to using something else and even reevaluating and continuing to grow from those things. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think sometimes when you're, when you're really thinking about all that stuff, sometimes even in an everyday life occurrence, you could be driving to work and you might remember something in second grade that is like, oh, wow, that's why I look at this situation the way that I do. And you can then quickly say, I felt like that then, but now I feel safe and that doesn't affect me anymore. So I'm going to let that go. I think we have these kind of things happening, you know, our whole life. And I think that's why they call it a journey because we're constantly learning, growing, evolving, using different tools, learning different tools, It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. You're not supposed to be there. Like it's the journey. It's not exactly. And you're just, oh, I'm so happy. This is perfect. And it just stays there. It's all right. Exactly. You're always learning and growing. And it's a beautiful thing. It is such a beautiful thing. But, you know, that was also a good point you make about remembering something like that. a, A small thing that happened in the second grade and how it's affected you. Because it's something that, I talk to people a lot when we're talking about dealing with other people and perspectives, you know, 
it's never about their thoughts are never about us. We could be interacting with someone and they're having a reaction. It seems to us, or, you know, maybe rejecting us. And it's because of something that happened to them in second grade. Correct. Yes. And it's such a, it's a hard thing to remember sometimes when we get so present in something that we forget that, but, you know, I think things have happened to all of us and that's what's, you know, determined how we deal with things. And when we can remember that about other people, it's such a powerful gift. Exactly. Being able to, you know, have that compassion for our own journey as well as someone else's journey so that we're, you know, we forgive ourselves, we can forgive them and, you know, be more open and connect with what the actual person. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think driving is a perfect example of that. It's so easy to get so frustrated driving. (laughs) And I always, you know, I always say the person speeding and going around me really quickly, I pray that they're not headed to the hospital because something happened to someone they love. So it's just constantly about shifting perspective and not taking things personally based on other people's behaviors. Absolutely. And, and, you know, how I think about that too, with traffic, like how, you know, people, if if they want to drive that way, that makes them feel safe. And when that starts blocking me from what I think feels comfortable for me, I can get frustrated or I could look at it like, you know, we're sharing this space and we both need, you know, have different needs to feel safe and be more open and understanding. Like you said, that we don't know why they're doing that. What's going on. Right. And and I always say too, like if someone needs to speed around me, I can show up to my destination 15 seconds later. It's not a big deal. (laughs) And maybe they couldn't. Maybe they couldn't. Yes. That's a a really good point. So um, how I'll, I'll try, I'll get the links from you so we can put those in the show notes, but how can people connect with you or get the book and how can can, can we get more Mark in our lives? Yes. You can get the book on Amazon, (laughs) diving into darkness to find light. It's under my name, Mark Christopher Neff in the books section. Um, I can certainly send you a link to that. And then I also have a Facebook group called find your light now. If anyone wants to connect with me, that has contact information and all that good stuff. There's also contact information, I believe, on the Amazon page. Okay. Where you can ask the author and about author stuff. Um, And I'm excited to announce, too, that I just am on the putting on the finishing touches of my second book that I wrote with my former spa director at my salon. And what we're diving into is we both spent years focusing on people's internal beauty And it was actually setting us up for our next season of life, which now we're focusing on internal beauty. And that's where it truly comes from. Absolutely. And that is, that is good because you guys will be able to approach that kind of holistically. Correct. Um, Yes. You have all those experiences. That's exciting. We will get those links from you and put them in the show notes so people can, can reach out to you and that will help them connect to you. If you're getting back into the coaching doing that more? Or are you focusing on this book, the second book right now? Yeah. You know, I really am passionate, you know, especially if anyone relates or if anything in the book resonates with someone, I'm more than happy to take on clients, whether it be someone that's dealt personally with something in the book or someone that has dealt with someone that has dealt with something in the book. Which like we said before, I think that's huge. Like having someone that you can talk to and work through about how to 
manage that in your life because that can be difficult for the family and friends as well when when people are struggling with these different things. Absolutely. And if anyone feels stuck, you know, we've all felt stuck in our lives. So if anyone just needs to, you know, take that first crack at letting their lightness shine again, and if they feel like they're in the midst of darkness, you know, that's what I feel like my mission is going to be from the book. Absolutely. And and that, that's a good point. As we said earlier, you know, maybe it's not your sexual identity or, you know, an addiction issue, but if you're just stagnant in your life and it, that can be crushing. It can so be crushing. That's a, a great time, a great spot in your life to reach out to a coach. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, you know, being here and sharing more of yourself. You've, the, you've been so open in this book. We, we appreciate the value that you've added and you have any last words, anything to, to say before we go today? I, you know, I just want to thank you for all the work you're doing. You, since we work together in our coaching class, I just, I think you're such a light in the world. And I know that you're helping so many people by what you're doing. And it literally is an honor and a privilege to have this time with you. You're so sweet. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, even as a coach, you know, I have my own thoughts and when I see someone pouring their life out like you, I'm just like, oh, Mark is doing it. But Mark thinks I'm doing it too. So that's all. Awesome. Yes, you have always been an inspiration to me since the day that I met you on our Zoom group class. So I appreciate that. And I thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, reach out when you get this next book or anything else you've got going on. And I know that we're going to have a whole lot more to talk about with everyone and they'll appreciate that. Thanks again for, for everything. Oh my gosh. Thank you. 